0: grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, through the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me lead us in a brief prayer. Jesus, our Savior, imprint your image on our hearts. Make us peacemakers, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Give us humility by your spirit day by day. Amen. As our gospel text opens up, we find Jesus and the disciples walking along the road. They're in Galilee. This is where Jesus grew up. It's isolated from Judea where Jesus' enemies are primarily located. The Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, don't have the power to harass Jesus and threaten him in Galilee. Here Jesus can take those disciples aside for a bit and talk to them about his mission. He can talk to them about what's coming soon. But the disciples are confused. They're confused by this talk of death and crosses, and even Jesus mentioning his resurrection doesn't seem to do much for them. One reason for their confusion, as Mark explains, is that they're frightened by what he's saying but there's also an argument simmering which distracts them and contributes to their confusion. Which one of us is greater? They thought Jesus was unaware of this. I have a hard time figuring out how practically they thought he'd be unaware. How was this argument happening as they walked along the road that they thought Jesus didn't notice? Were some of them walking alongside Jesus, listening to him, but then the others trailed behind as they argued? Did they drift between these two positions, trying to listen to Jesus, knowing that they should pay attention to him, but also wanting to argue their own greatness, their own importance. Whatever the situation was on the road that the disciples thought would conceal this argument from him, Jesus knew. So when they arrived in Capernaum, a village of Galilee, which Jesus called home, after the people of Nazareth once tried to kill him, he gathered them up and called them out. Verse 33, When he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road?" But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. The disciples didn't want to tell him. Matthew's Gospel reports that they did eventually and Matthew would know he was one of the twelve. We put together these two accounts, Matthew and Mark, and see that the Gospel writers aren't mistaken about the exact events but rather emphasizing different aspects of the story. Matthew wants to emphasize what Jesus teaches in response to the argument. So he moves past the argument on the road and shows the disciples asking Jesus directly. That's Matthew chapter 18. They say to him, Who will be greatest in the kingdom of heaven? But Mark wants to emphasize their foolish, prideful disagreement, so he tells us about the argument on the road and their later reluctance to divulge the disagreement. They had good reason to be arguing about this. If you remember last Sunday's gospel reading, you know that we heard Jesus walking around with his disciples near Caesarea Philippi, another village of Galilee. We were in Mark 8. Now we're in Mark 9, and they are still walking around in Galilee. You could almost think those two readings flow right into each other. But when we move to today's gospel reading, we're jumping past a significant event that's recounted for us at the beginning of Mark 9. That's the transfiguration. Jesus took three of the disciples, Peter, James, and John, up to the top of a mountain. There, Mark describes for us, Mark 9 too. Jesus was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, and there appeared before them Elijah and Moses talking with Jesus. It was a stunning, glorious moment which testifies to Jesus' divine majesty, but those three disciples were told by Jesus afterward not to tell anyone, not even the other nine. Getting down the mountain, Jesus and the three find the nine in the midst of a crowd. A father has brought his demon possessed son to have the demon cast out, but the nine have been unable. Jesus, on the other hand, casts it out easily and says something before doing so which might have heard the disciples feelings. Mark 9 19 he says, You unbelieving generation, how long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So now the disciples in our text are walking along the road and they argue. The nine are offended that they didn't go to go up to the mountain and they're embarrassed by the exorcism incident and when people are embarrassed they get defensive. The three as far as we can know didn't ask for this special treatment. Maybe they're defending themselves against unkindness from the nine of the who do you guys think you are variety. We don't know. Our Bible translation says that they were arguing about who was the greatest, but the Greek word there isn't actually greatest, the superlative form of the adjective. The Greek word there is a comparative adjective, zone, greater. They're not arguing over the number one spot, greatest, but they do want to sort out who's greater, who's above and below in the pecking order. There's always a reason, a rationale, we can give to our sin. We can always justify it in our eyes by blaming people around us, the hard day we've had, the frustration we feel when our peers seem to do better. We should be careful, as we see the disciples arguing on the road, not to be a bunch of pots calling kettles black. We rationalize our sin the same way. Having reached Capernaum, Jesus is going to lance this boil. He calls them together and he's blunt, what were you arguing about on the road? This is important. Talking to the disciples about their disagreement is so important that he's going to forgo talking about the other thing right now, his imminent arrest, trial, and death. He needs to talk to them about their road rage, about the fight they got into along the way. If you've been coming to our Psalms Sunday Bible Studies here, you've heard me talk about the Christian life as a cyclical road trip, a pilgrimage that begins and ends each Sunday. We make our way through each day of life in a world that doesn't understand God and his message of sin and grace. We make our pilgrimage through that world each week to get to Sunday, to God's house, to gather around his word with other believers. And strengthened by that, we head back out into the world to show it grace despite its sin, just as God showed us grace despite our sin. That's the believers' road trip, our pilgrimage, and one day God promises it will end with us at his side forever in heaven. When we read this story, our gospel reading today, we also see something about the believer's road trip. We are sinner saints. A person does not become perfect when they become Christian. They become a saved sinner. And do you know what two, three, twelve sinners are going to do when they get together? They're going to sin against each other. The disciples fought over who was greatest on the road. What arguments do you have with other believers on the road? There's a lot that goes on in the world in our lives to distract us, irritate us, frustrate us. And even if you have a personal devotional practice, which is a good thing, and even if you feel close to God outside of church, up in the mountains or out on the open sea, you need to be sat down regularly in a house with a bunch of other sinner saints so Jesus can call you out. You need the Jesus who sat the disciples down in a house in Capernaum and said, what are you arguing about? Eventually they fess up, As Matthew tells us, we want to know who's greatest. See how Jesus answers. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me but the one who sent me. Before doing that though, he says something else and we don't want to lose sight of it because what Jesus does with that child is an illustration of what he first says. Backing up to verse 35, Jesus first says to the disciples, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. Whoever wants to be great in the kingdom of God will serve others." How does his object lesson with the child connect to those words? Think about it this way. What do the people who are great in the world's eyes do with their kids? Caring for them is passed off to staff, nannies, tutors, cooks, boarding schools. This is as true in 2021 AD as it was in 21 AD, especially for great men. Kids aren't the concern of a great man. Servants take care of the kids. Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, King of the universe, the greatest man or human who has ever lived, hugs kids, loves them, protects them, serves them. He tells the disciples later in Mark 9, past our text, that it's better for someone to drown in the ocean than for God to catch up to them after they harm a child. Jesus loves kids. And he shows the disciples here that their greatness will not be about acquiring status and fame and prestige and power. It's about serving children. Who did the disciples' sinful, prideful, foolish argument really put in danger? Children. The next generation. The disciples have road rage at the children's crossing. They are so distracted by their disagreement That they have lost sight of the work to which they have been called, for which Christ is training them. And their distraction puts this child in danger, like someone texting as they drive past a school. Maybe not in physical, bodily danger, but in spiritual danger. Disagreements among us believers endanger our children. The apostles were going to be Jesus' instruments to share the good news of his gift of salvation with the world. They were going to tell the next generation about God's praiseworthy deeds, but not if the band broke up before the big world tour. And now we have to balance two biblical teachings. God promises that those whom he has elected, chosen from eternity, will be saved. Amen, and praise him for that promise. Yet God teaches also that anyone who is saved will be saved because they have had his word shared with them by another person. We immediately want to ask questions. So how can God be sure that people will hear his message? If it depends on fallible humans to share your message, God, how can you make such confident promises? God doesn't answer such questions for us in the Bible. He tells us to share his word, And he encourages us by telling us that it's all in his hands. And that is encouragement. We can share the word knowing that God will work through it. It's not about our grasp of rhetoric or the amount of Bible we memorize. It's about us sharing the comfort we have in Jesus with others. Our sin gets in the way of that. Our sin gets in the way of our sharing Jesus with others. The text this morning makes us consider how our pride and its corresponding disagreements... get in the way of us bringing the word to the next generation what arguments do you have in the church do you leave here talking about something I say in my sermon in a way that says to your kids well pastor says things and they really don't matter enough for us to talk to him but we don't just don't agree no please if you hear something from me that needs pushback, push back ask me a question challenge me in front of your kids show them that having a pastor who preaches God's word to you matters do you talk about other people at church in a way that says to your kids that church is nothing more than a movie theater, or we might be happening to watch the same show together, but once we're on the drive home, we talk about the person who just wouldn't be quiet, or the one who is sitting right in front of the screen. Do we talk about the people who attend church in a way that implies that we have nothing more in common than that we're entertained by the same guy for an hour on Sundays? Or do we show the next generation in our words and deeds that we are members together of the body of Christ, that we were baptized into the same spirit, We eat of the same loaf. We unite around a common confession. There's no tolerance for road rage at the children's crossing. The consequences of our sinful pride and disagreements for those who come after are too grave for Jesus not to call us out. Our culture tells us that disagreements really aren't that serious and some aren't, but even arguments which aren't worth having can end up dividing people we blow things out of proportion, then we rationalize our reactions just as the nine did with their jealousy toward the three. We disagree over important things, over unimportant things, over sometimes nothing, and we forget in all of that why we're here, to receive forgiveness, one generation after the other. Take heart in that, forgiveness. You are forgiven, you are God's child, baptized into his name and adopted into his family. Your sins are washed away because his firstborn son laid down his life for you. Your pride and the strife and disagreement which it causes have all been forgotten by God for the sake of Jesus. As God's children now, we gather together around his word. We hear him call us out on our sinfulness. We rejoice as he points us to our Savior. And as we go home, we live as servants of the next generation by proclaiming the saving name of Jesus. Amen.